But I, I still think people, even on a daily basis, as hard as it is, if I gave myself, which people should do, but again, it's hard, if I gave myself 10 minutes at the end of the day to reflect on the day, was I successful? Wow. You In know, a day? Well, I think so. Because, again, to help you get through tough times, you just need incremental steps of success. When I go back on a, a coaching career, and, and it's what I talk about these days, I think you've always got to have one foot in the present and one foot in the future. So the one foot in the present is what you're just saying, well, what's in front of me right now? If, if I want to chase things into the future, I've actually still got to deal with what's in front of me now because if, if I'm not dealing with that, yeah. you know, the future potentially changes quite significantly. Hey, you've just joined A Journey with Bernie. Greetings, my dear friends, and thank you so much for joining me and today's wonderful guest. My name is Bernie Kelly, and I'm your very enthusiastic show host. Why? Because I woke up this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm still breathing. I've been expressing my joy for life as a corporate leadership and team building coach for 30 years now. But I've also loved working in the schools, guiding students and our young ones, just to open up their eyes to see more, to do more, to be more. I'm an explorer who wants to take you and them to the summit of Kilimanjaro. Hey, how about the base of Mount Everest? or the intrigue of the Peruvian Machu Picchu, or that epic spiritual adventure across northern Spain, the Camino. Yes, I'm a lover of nature, and I am a consumer of life, and that's why this podcast exists. You see, it's a simple exploration of what you and I need to do to find greater love for self, to inspire our own sustainable inner happiness, and to discover greater meaning in our humble lives. Of course, I don't have the answers, but that's why each week you and I will explore the life purpose and the perspectives and paradigms of our wonderful podcast guests who will share with us their strategies, their thoughts, their actions that just might bring greater meaning to our lives. Hey, we're all on this journey, folks. So today, let's together put on our hat of curiosity and explore life's possibilities. And let's do it together on this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Well, dear listeners, thank you ever so much for giving up your time to join another episode of A Journey with Bernie. Today's guest... It gives me enormous pleasure to introduce you to John Buchanan. Um, Buck, as he's well known, Buck and I go back a, a fair way. We did human movement studies together at the University of Queensland. We played cricket together. I think we opened, did we open the batting together? Briefly, Bernie, you were always out. 
I gave you that line <laughs> and you were so predictable that I knew you were going to throw. Your batting average in Sheffield Shield cricket was 12. I would have backed myself to beat that. Mate, I made 160 in Sheffield Shield cricket. <laughs> Just right. don't ask how many innings. <laughs> But we go back a long way. We shared a lot of our young adult time together playing cricket together. And as you may realise, John, of course, became an extraordinary uh, cricket coach. When he became coach of Queensland, for those of you who aren't even interested in cricket, I just wonder whether you can imagine a whole community, a whole state that had never won a particular title. New South Wales, Victoria, they all won it year after year after year. Queensland never won it. We waited 69 years and John Buchanan in his very, very first year as the Queensland coach delivered the Sheffield Shield to the Queensland people. Needless to say, not long after that, he becomes the Australian cricket coach. And let's just say that was the start of a phenomenal period of Australian cricket. World records, left, right and centre. 16 test match victories in a row. First team to score 400 always puts a smile on my face because the other team they played also scored 400. When he retired, Australia was the world champion of test cricket, world champion of one-day cricket. You know, if you compare his coaching record to some of the greats around the world, I'm talking about the mighty Phil Jackson, LA Lakers, together with Michael Jordan, Buck's winning coaching record is better than Phil Jackson. Buck had 70 victories out of 91, 77%. Phil Jackson, LA Lakers, 72.5. Better than Vince Lombardi from the Green Bay Packers. Better than Alex Ferguson from Manchester United, mind you. I think it's much easier to get a draw in soccer rather than a victory. Hey, anybody out there who could possibly, possibly doubt the coaching effectiveness and the coaching greatness of this man just doesn't understand what he had to offer. And I'm only speaking about him as a sports coach and as a cricket coach. I cannot imagine what he's offered people individually. John Buchanan, do you think I'm pretty excited to have you on a journey with Bernie? How's it all sounding? <laughs> <laughs> well, Bernie, we need to pack you up and take you wherever I go. You can be my MC well, and intro person any day. I'd be delighted to that because, man, you deserve everything that I've just said. How you been handling the COVID? There's a challenge for you. You've had the Australian cricket team, you've had Middlesex, you had a Chava stint in New Zealand as well. Now you've had COVID as well. Not, I don't know whether you've had... Have you had the disease? I have, yeah. Did you? How'd you handle that? I managed to go to Oman to get uh, COVID. I, <laughs> Did you? Yeah, why not? And you successfully not? found I, it. I successfully <laughs> found it, yeah, yeah. So, look, it didn't really affect me. I'm triple vaxxed and, yeah, I, I think I was lethargic for a day and then, uh, you know, I, like everybody, isolated in my hotel room for the next seven days or so. Okay, so it took you seven days. Was it a five-day, well, seven-day? Well, I was feeling fine. Saying? I was yeah. feeling fine, except well, you just couldn't move. You yeah. know, you were basically locked in your... Tack the throat or Never your joints? No, wow, didn't amazing. have anything. Just yeah. as I said, yeah. lethargic for a day and that was about it. Yeah, I'm out of place here, but maybe you're saying something about the vaccine. Anyway, I just should move on from that. <laughs> and just generally over the last 18 months, how has life been treating you and the family? Yeah. Oh, look... Um, in terms of the family, I think it's really happy with 
you know, where we're at because all the all the children, so to speak, the 27 to 39-year-old yeah. children with a couple of grandchildren, I mean, none wow. of them lost their jobs and, yeah, they got through it. I think uh, one of the, Tim, he'd gone overseas to the US with his wife, she's US, and they managed to contract it over there, but it was all yeah. done dusted before they before they came back. Elise, our youngest, who's who's nursing, she contracted it, but after seven days she was back back on deck. So, Judith, my wife, she hasn't gone down. She, I mm. mean, it, she's phenomenal in that regard. Yeah, yeah. As you know, most wives and partners seem to be able to withstand anything, <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, I get a sniff and a cold and I'm a sack of potatoes you and I'm down. You always were a wimp there. I mate. was, yeah. No, low, th- low threshold of pain. Um, yeah. But, yeah, no, look, um, business-wise it, it's been a struggle. No yeah, doubt, you know, yeah. it, it was okay to start with. Mm. But then uh, then your clients sort of dropped off, speaking dropped off, and I just felt probably for a, a small business, a real small business, that what happened was you then got cast into this massive pool, whereas yeah. beforehand you were in a bit of a smaller pool That's right. and, yet, and you're yeah. a little bit of a bigger fish, but yeah. suddenly you're out there because everybody's at home searching online and suddenly you're out in, in the big ocean. So from a business point of view, difficult. It's been tough. Yeah, yeah. 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 So let, so me, the, let me ask you there then. What did you learn from that? Like, what I'm, I'm asking you on a personal basis. You know, I, I can hear John Buchanan, the coach, talking about the flip side of everything and learning from everything. So what did you personally learn from the, the toughness of the last 18 months, particularly in that professional dimension of your life? Well, like everything, I suppose, you can let the circumstances dictate the way that you operate or you can turn the circumstances around and say, well... As you say, here's another challenge. Now, how do I actually begin to overcome that? So from a professional point of view, I'm looking at, you know, technologies and and networks and connections and partnerships to try to, you know, almost have a bit of a broader portfolio so that something might kick off while the others are not progressing too well. So so that's certainly been something I've, I've... constantly worked on day by day, I suppose. I think the other thing is, again, how important family is. Sure, yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, without, yeah. without family around you or you around them, yeah. you know, it can be quite an isolating yeah. experience as, as many people have been yeah. through, you know, and then probably still are trying to find their way through that, you know. So I think they're, they're probably the biggest learnings that one, as a professional, yeah, well, how am I going to respond to that? Mm. Let's try and find a way through that. Now, I'm not saying I've found a way through it at the moment, but I've certainly been actively trying to do those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. And secondly, yeah, family become a real important connection emotionally, spiritually and every other way possible, Yeah. yeah. Do you find the message there, Buck, that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what card is dealt, and we're all in this same COVID boat together as an example, the question that's being asked is how do we maximise what is? Now, you can't, there's some things you can't change. And so, therefore, the real challenge is do we wish for what we once had (laughs) or do we look and seek 
to maximise what is there because there lies the opportunity. I think I hear you saying that before. Yeah, look, I think it's a bit of a combination of everything. When I go back on a, a coaching career, and, and it's what I talk about these days, I think you've always got to have one foot in the present and one foot in the future. So the one foot in the present is what you're just saying. Well, what's in front of me right now? If, if I want to chase things into the future, I've actually still got to deal with what's in front of me now because if, if I'm not dealing with that, yeah, you know, the future potentially changes quite significantly. So, But having said that, it still seems important to me to have a, a picture about what yeah. the future could be, may not be, but could be. And so, therefore, the things that I am doing now, hopefully, they're helping me a little bit sure. towards that, yeah. that future yeah. picture. And be open to the to the fact that as you progress towards that picture of possibilities, your future, that it might not evolve in that direction. As you go along that evolving picture, it, it could change again. Well, it has always in my, in my life and in my career, so I'm always expecting that. But nonetheless, there's a... You know, there's a a really broad aspirational, inspirational sort of picture which has always been in the back of my mind. Now, in a sense, if I was, you know, completely honest with myself, can't see that happening but mm. I'm not letting that go. No, that's interesting. Um, that's interesting. But you still have to find a way. You, sure. You, you're always just well, trying to find find a way, you know. And So if you can't see, it's ha- see it happening, why do you hang on to it? What's the importance of it? What role does it play for you if you you can't see the pathway? I can see the pathway. It's whether or not I can actually get to the end of the pathway. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. But that's still important because at least that's the pathway and so long as I can keep tracking towards that, whether it's slow or whether I meet detours along the way, you know, my, you know, my life has in a sense been about dreams and about visions, you know, like you, you know, we, we were both going to play for Australia when we were little kids in the back. No, I was never going to play for it. I would have settled for Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> I dare say somewhere a very, very young child you were going to play for Australia. And, you know, that that doesn't happen, you know, for a whole range of reasons. And um, so if that then dictates the way that you're going to live the rest of your life, yeah. then you're in trouble, aren't you? Yeah. So, so then it's about recreating new dreams, new pictures. And so that that's constantly happened throughout my life and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be able to find not always the dream but headed down the path of the dream. Now, if the dream happens to evaporate or, you know, just is totally unrealistic, then it's about, well, what next? Where do I go next? It's, it's almost, Buck, as if you're saying... The dream in itself is not as important as its quality to keep you moving forward and upward in that direction hmm. yeah, towards well, the dream. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, you, you'll hear people talk about it in other ways, other means. It could be hope, you know. So uh, in business, you know, the saying is hope is not a plan. Well, that's true. But having said that, hope is a very, very powerful emotion mm. that, Everybody needs to be able to grab onto at different times, you know. So, so the dream, in a sense, is an incarnation of that, or it's an outpouring of that, or it's related to that in some way, shape, or form. But dreams are just so important. Dreams are so important to young children. We've got a couple of young, three young grandchildren now. So, 
you know, to me, dreams are just so important for not only young children, but they're as important just as much for older people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. and everywhere in between. Yeah. But unfortunately, we probably don't spend enough time or give ourselves enough time to, yeah, create that sure. because, you know, that, as you were saying before, that creates possibilities. Yeah. Are you dare suggesting that even for, if we had listeners 60, 70, 80 years of age, even at that stage of their life, there is real value in still having dreams, something to move forward to, otherwise they just exist? Well, it will not just exist. I mean, generally I suppose people find their their comfort zones, you know, and that's that's fine and and, and a lot of this is to do with choice, you know. Choice is brought around by a whole range of, again, circumstances, you know. So, but for me, I suppose when I looked at my own philosophy and values and cornerstones, one was always, you know, just never being satisfied. And some people, particularly one cricket boss at one stage, interpreted that as you're a very unhappy person. <laughs> and I said, so, I'm not unhappy. It's, it's just that I believe, you know, in every part of your life, yeah. Oh, and this was around a cricket team. Yeah. But there was so much room for improvement. Yeah. So no matter how well you're doing, yeah. individually or collectively, wow, we can we can do much better. Yeah. And, and so yeah. that kind of drives me personally. Yeah. And I think, as I said, depending on individuals, depending on your circumstances, um, I think there's always things that you can stretch yourself into to dream or to experience, to get outside your comfort zone. And, and that could be, you know, just being able to to walk three paces, which you haven't done for sure. a period of time. Absolutely, you know? yeah. So who yeah. knows? Yeah. You know, I, I think yeah. you need to. I think that's a pretty important component of, yeah. of yeah. people's lives. I'm laughing, and 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 I think the ego is just about to take over. But I had a little <laughs> little success last night when, for the first time, I would suggest in 30 years. I did two exercise classes, one after the other. Ken, I did the hot yoga <laughs> followed by the boxing class. And I was so pleased the next day or so thrilled that you're able to make that little breakthrough, that next step forward. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and so hopefully when those things, events, occurrences happen, and then you can build upon that, you know. So often we probably don't then spend time to build upon that or, or probably, no, more importantly, what we don't do is maybe celebrate it enough, give ourselves a real huge high five or a pat on the back for what we've just achieved mm-hmm. and with that sort of affirmation of success, what's next? What, yeah. what can we do? Yeah. Well, I just did. I just egotistically told the world. <laughs> Three classes tonight. <laughs> Buck, but you've always advocated the power of the dream. In in most of the readings of John Buchanan, if there seems to be an iconic moment that seems to arise, is this moment where you first became the Australian cricket coach and you introduced the Everest, Everest dream to a fantastic squad of players that, that might be said. Can you take us into the dressing room Give us the picture. What did you ask them to believe in? Give us the Everest story with the Australian cricket team. 
Yeah, so this is taking us back to November 99 and I'd coached Queensland for five years. But in that room, it was at a hotel near the Botanical Gardens in Brisbane. As I looked around the room, there was only one player that was from Queensland, which was Scotty Muller, making his test to be. But I'd coached against everybody in the room, obviously, and a couple of support staff I knew over time, but not not well. So firstly, I, I just wanted to express to them what I saw myself bringing to the group. So that was around challenging them, around honesty, around integrity, around hard work, professionalism, however I expressed that. And I said I expected the same in return. But I said, beyond that, we're going on a journey to Everest together. And I said something like, you know, I didn't know exactly what that meant and I certainly didn't know how long that would take. But I did say what seemed to me that Everest could be interpreted or at least understood by is that it's about changing the game. It's about we we operate in a cricket environment, you know, where there's rules and regulations like any business environment. There's rules and regulations and everybody's in that marketplace and they're trying to make profit or whatever they're wanting to do and in a sporting context you're trying to win games. So within that boundary of rules and regulations, the idea was, well, why should we play the same game as anybody else? You know, let's change the game. And as I said, I I didn't know how long that was going to take, but I then wanted to also give it a little bit more substance, at least in my terms, that it should link to the past to deal with the future and, as I said, to deal with the present and then head us into the future. So that's where I, lo- I looked at the Invincibles. Of 1948, yeah, Bradman's team. Bradman's yeah. team. And, again, whether people know cricket or not, they achieved something in sport that hadn't been done before, uh, which from those who do know cricket went through a tour of England undefeated. But they were given a label, the Invincibles, and that stuck with them mm. in that period of time forever. And I said, by the time that we do finish as I said, didn't know exactly when that would be. And by what we have done, hopefully on the cricket field but possibly off the cricket field as well, about changing the game and the way it's played, that we would also be accorded a label because of what we've done. Mm. And so in a sense that was, they were all the pieces that were suggesting this is the journey, this is Everest, now we begin the journey and, you know, all the strategies and the planning, everything else that goes with that. What were some of the ingredients of the Everest? Like how was Everest measured? Uh, Did you lay down some targets? Yeah, I was never a target person because I just believe, you know, you kind of set a target and things could be running exceptionally well, so therefore the target becomes uh, somewhat of an anchor. In other words, because as you get closer to it, then rather than accelerating, you're actually defined by the, the anchor mm-hmm. or it can be the other way. You're really struggling mm-hmm. and this this target is too far away so mm-hmm. it becomes a bit of an inhibitor as well. So never really a target person but we just kept chunking it down into either periods of time, meaning, you know, if we were on tour for 
14 months or so, you kind of look at that whole tour and say, well, we start here and we finish there and we've got these things in between. And so it becomes more milestones, mm. milestone marks, apart from after we lost the Ashes in 2005 and I had to go to the board and sort of convince them why I should still coach the side. When they gave me the thumbs up to do that, I'd painted them a picture about 2005 to the end of the World Cup in 2007 and redefined what Everest looked like in that period of time. Oh, wow, um, that's interesting. But one of the things, well, the, the, the Everest then was about we were going to win three tournaments that almost back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, which had never, ever been done yeah, before. Yeah, So that was kind of the Everest thing. And um, did you? We did. Yeah. And before that, though, there was a target. There was a target around target 400 being the first team. So this this is always the approach to keep challenging individuals, keep challenging the group to be better than what they were, even yeah. though when I first took over in 99, you know, they won a World Cup in England. Yeah. They had won, a, I think, a test series in Sri Lanka. So they were, in my view, a good side, yeah. but this was yeah. good to great. See, that, that's really interesting because you're giving to a very, very good side with a track record, an established track record, even greater heights to go to. Did, out of interest, did you do this for Queensland as well when you were the coach? Did they get an Everest? Well, they did. We probably called it something else, yeah, did you? Yeah, I didn't Kosciuszko. know. Kosciuszko. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Kilimanjaro, as you know. No, um, yeah, I mean, that was, we talked briefly about my wonderful cricket pedigree before as we started the interview. So at that time, again, there was a famous Australian cricketer, Jeff Thompson, legend of the game, played a lot of test cricket, and then other applicants also had extensive at least first-class backgrounds. So there I was going in to try to tell Queensland cricket, yes, one, they'd never won the Sheffield Shield in 69 years of trying, the Holy Grail. Two, I hadn't been around, ostensibly really been around first-class cricket for 16 years. And then three, I had that wonderful 160 runs at an average of 12 (laughs) to back up my case. So I needed to go in and show them that I had something else to offer. Yeah. And so if you like the Everest, not what it was called Everest, the vision was if they wanted a coach to win the Holy Grail, yeah. then I wasn't the person yeah. for them. But I said if you want a person that's going to set Queensland up to dominate domestic cricket for the next 10 years, then I'm the person. So in essence that's that's And how- in the process... Under and in your process, yeah. tutelage. Well, I did say to them, you know, in that 10-year period, there, there's no doubt that we will win a Sheffield Shield, but I, I couldn't say when because we'll get process and system right. And more importantly, once we win one, we'll know how to keep winning. Did you get any surprise that Queensland responded so quickly <laughs> to your aspiration, the aspirational offering, the, the Everest that you were presenting to them. But so did the Australian players. They Both sides seem to have responded very quickly to the concept of higher dreams. Yes and no. I mean, I think for a start, people got to understand that you're in a sporting context and you're in a, an elite end of that sporting context. So they're extremely competitive people. They want to win, always want to win, um, either personally in terms of what they achieve out on their stage 
or collectively what they can actually put together, which might be records. So that's a real plus. That's um, something that obviously most businesses can't do or can't create yeah. or find it difficult to create. So, so they have that. Sitting in the midst of all that, as I said, there are individuals. So with, with Queensland, we had an Alan Border who was returning back to Queensland cricket to finish off his career. So, again, for those who don't understand, it's like one of the legends of, of your business or your industry or your marketplace who is going to come in into your team mm. and say, we're going to achieve something here or I'm, I'm going to go out as a winner. That's what I wanted to do. So it was almost irrespective of what I was saying, he was going to do that anyway. And, and, and you know, he, he rebuffed a number of the things that I was, you know, around data and meeting. It wasn't him because let me play my own game because yeah. that works really well. Did he let you play your own game? We, we came to a very clear agreement <laughs> that he will play his game and I'll play my game, but... I'm not going to interfere in his game and he's not going to interfere in my game. Wow, that's really interesting. So uh, so Alan was really comfortable about letting you play your own game and offer it to the players who would get value out of your game. Yes, yeah, because yeah. he could go about doing his wow, stuff okay. yeah. and at the same stage yeah. part of his value too was yeah. in his own way coaching mm. a lot of these players, you know, with his experience and knowledge and so on. I hope you don't mind me saying this, Buck. I'm going to thank all those listeners out there who are listening to this who, who are probably trying to relate everything that we're saying here from a cricket sporting context into their, into their lives. So let's help them and let's bring it back to an individual's life, right? Should we all have an Everest? I don't think that's the right question. It's not should we. What's the benefit to individuals having and Everest. Are we all capable of creating and seeing our Everests? I think we're all capable. There's no doubt about that. But again, as I sort of said before, whether it's the right thing for everybody, it'll very much depend on your own sort of circumstances, whether that's financial, whether that's age, location. A lot of things play into that. You know, what's happening in your family and friends, you know, a lot of things will, will play into that and, you know, you just, as I said, you've got to deal with the present. you just got to have your foot in the future and sometimes that just means I'm not looking beyond tomorrow, yeah. you know, like that's too far away. I've just got to get through today, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I, I still think people, even on a daily basis, as hard as it is, if I gave myself, which people should do, but again, it's hard. If I gave myself 10 minutes at the end of the day to reflect on the day, was I successful? Wow. You In know, a day? Well, I think so. Yeah. Because again, to help you get through tough times, you just need incremental steps of success. Yeah. I don't know why. I've, I've got in the back of my mind, I've got a bit of Stephen Covey floating through the back here. The narrative in the back of my mind is saying about the importance of doing what is important, not urgent. Now, sometimes getting the, the bread and the milk and paying the electricity bill is urgent, <laughs> otherwise you're going to lose the electricity. Huh? But I just wonder how many people go through a day and every day is doing what has become urgent and reactive versus 
doing what's important and proactive that contributes to building their lives, hopefully towards their Everest, their dream, tomorrow's goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, again, as you said, Covey talks about habits, you know, and so so we're all in – in the habit of doing things that we do, mm. we are, you know we've learnt that from a very young age, and and so generally that will revolve around what we know, what we're comfortable with, what we're certain about, and so again, what what Covey and others will always talk about is is well, some of those habits might be really good, mm. but some of them are not so good. So how do we actually break that cycle? Sure. How do we interrupt yeah. that cycle? How do we begin to develop something? Yeah new, which isn't always reactive, but it takes a more proactive. Do you have a morning routine? Do you have some morning habits that actually serve you and set up your day? And I'm not talking about first two minutes out of bed. (laughs) I'm not that regular, but (laughs) yeah, when I look back on on my coaching career or, or in my consulting business, mornings I'm generally more at least mentally alert. So I would dive into thinking about the day, maybe thinking about what happened the previous day and then trying to plan out the day, right? So that's what I would have done these days. And it's been as a result of probably COVID where I've dived in a bit of Robin Sharma's books and I'm now using that, that morning time Trying to get it to be a new habit, mm. so get up at five mm. with the before the sun. Sit, go ahead and sit in the garden, and and try to control my mind. You know, wow. meaning that all the control is for me is yeah. is just don't have anything in there. Yeah. You know, uh, so I'm trying to listen to birds, or I'm trying yeah. to listen to my breathing. Why? Because. The fundamental purpose of that is that if you can control your thinking, you know, in other words, here's here's a negative thought, here's a lot of stuff coming in, all right, it's not time for that at the moment, it's time yeah. to be doing this. So, you know, I'll, I'll talk to, and, and that's where athletes, again, are, are a very good source of understanding this kind of process because they all have routines. So if we went to cricket, as you know, yeah. and you're a batsman, and you've got to face a you know a quick bowler, spin bowler doesn't matter, but you're able to let your mind wander for a period of time till the ball starts to get around near the top of the mark, and then suddenly you've got your own sort of routine that maybe you've walked away from the crease and you started fiddling with gear and whatever, and then you begin to saddle over your bat, and as the bowler is approaching you, then your your focus is narrowing, narrowing, narrowing to the point where probably just prior delivery, there is nothing in your world but a red, white or pink cricket ball these days, yeah, right? Yeah. That's, that's your world. Yeah. And and so from that with, with a clear mind plus your knowledge and experience, then you make a decision and then you go and execute it. So what I hear you say, by the way, some people would call this meditation, Buck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the process yeah, of meditation yeah, yeah, yeah. is the process of focusing intensely so that you dilute or virtually eliminate extraneous thoughts from cluttering your mind, leaving your mind with space and clarity 
Some might say a peace yeah. and a calm. Some might even throw in the word there a little bit of love <laughs> because it just gives you that feeling of not being distracted or interrupted by thoughts, many of whom might say a lot of those thoughts are related to past data. It's like if, if they're related to past data, you're bringing the past into the now and you don't want that today. Today's a new day. Yeah? So is that part of your routine in the morning? Well, I'm trying. I'm, yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I find it extremely difficult to to switch off for 30 seconds. I, I, I think I'm there and yeah. then I realise, no, I've been yeah. thinking about all these <laughs> other things, you know. I know the feeling. So, so I'm in a learning stage yeah. and, and, again, according to, to Robin Sharma, I guess, yeah. or other researchers, they would say, you know, the process will take you maybe 21 days to 30 days so long as you practice it regularly. It's like anything. It's just yeah. a practised yeah. skill to do that, you know, because, again, it, it is about, therefore, if I'm better at being able to get my mind into that routine, just like the batsman, so it's clear, then under situations of uh, stress or anxiety or even celebration, I can clear the static wow. and just make a far better decision or reaction or whatever it might be, uh, or it could simply be just I'm far better at listening mm. right now mm. yeah, when I need to be, mm. you know. So, yeah, yeah I th- so, yeah, I'm, I'm just beginning that, doing a little bit of just basic exercise at that stage. So that kind of takes up the first half, half yeah, hour of the morning. Yeah, yeah, And then, yeah, begin to get into the day from there, sure, yeah. but still from a work yeah. perspective, still trying to set up a bit of a daily plan. Sure, yeah. And, I, and you know, probably over the last... 18 months, COVID time, where I've I've really, I made it too detailed, you know, like <laughs> it was, I'd spend all my day analysing. I've got a couple of the Australian plays in my ear right now, That's mate. right, that's right. So, so all I'm doing now is, is, again, trying to declutter that, trying to simplify yeah. the complexity. Yeah, I get it. So it I still has that. some. Yeah, yeah. Me, still has some meaning and value. Otherwise, yeah. why do it? Yeah. But, for example, you would wake up or before you start work knowing the one, two or three things that are the most important things you want to achieve that achieve today. Yeah. You you have great clarity. It's not a day you're just entering and let's see where it takes us. Yeah, no. no, no you have no. you have clarity as to yeah. what you want to achieve. And and yeah, of course. But of course, as we know, you get hit left, right and centre by things that you know, like any plan, we all sure, everybody's got yeah. their game plan, strategic plans. Again, like sport, yeah, everybody has their game plan. You know, so here's how we're going to win the game, boys. Yes. Right? Yeah. Your role, yeah. our role. Yeah. This is how we win the game. Now, if every game followed that plan, teams in theory would win every game. But of course, the other teams got a game plan to win <laughs> as well. And of course, in your game plan. Nothing goes necessarily according to plan because yeah. in, you're dealing with people. So individuals cannot necessarily deliver on what is expected of them. Well, you weren't expecting the, the call from your eldest child there about, about a problem or issue that's arisen for them that you've now got right. to immediately respond to. You've got this whole reactive pull in another direction. Hey, coming back to the meditation bit there before, can I just say I did that 10-day Vipassana 
program. Don't you laugh at me now, right? That 10-day Vipassana silent retreat program up at Pomona. And that was just a mind blower in terms of getting me in tune with the value that you're talking about, uncluttering the mind and learning how to keep thought at a distance. And you're right, I, I'm no expert at it, Mark, but, geez, it, it, it was a experience that opened up my mind. Mind you, there are times I get that just walking in nature as, as well. There are many different There's sources. different ways of doing it, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. just, I mean, again, going back to, say, when I applied for that Queensland job and, uh, as I mentioned, you know, the, all the people in front of me, what I used to do was go out for a run. I used to run because I worked in the city and I'd just head out for a run at lunchtime around the yeah, river. Yeah. And that's where I was able to think through because that was my – and that's what I'll tell people. You've yeah. got to find your quiet place yeah. wherever that might be. And in those days it was out running because I, I just could free up and away I went. These days I can't run so I've got to find something else. Is that because of knees, joints? Oh, Bit of, all, bit of all that. <laughs> Let's change track for a moment. Right? I'm going to mention. Um, I'm going to mention off the top of my head a few players, uh, a few performers out there. But the ones I'm going to mention, and and I'm probably biased, John, in that they strike me as players who are not only extremely skilled, internationally known in some cases, but they just seem so human. So unegotistical, but you may have a different opinion. I'd like to hear what you think is their real strength. Number one, Australia's favourite girl at the moment, I think, Ash Barty. Yeah, she's... What do you see when you see her? Yes. I mean, I think um, you see in her everything you like about being Australian, you know, now whether that's accurate or not because, again, all we get to see is the exteriors and, and what's portrayed in the media, you know, and it's, in Ash Barty's case, it's generally almost 100% good, yeah. you know. And she comes across as just being so humble, being so family-oriented, so determined, yeah. so competitive and passionate about being Australian. Yeah. But how does that humility and that family, that girl next door, it's not an image. It, it seems to be that it is her. Mm. Right? Oh, no doubt. How, does, how do you believe as a coach that aids her performance? Well, I think for her she isn't trying to live another life or a different life, you know. So often celebrities, which she is, have an on-stage yeah. demeanour yeah, and then off-stage they're completely somebody else. So they almost yeah. are trying to move between one life and the other. Yeah. Whereas Ash Barty would seem to me that she is on stage and off stage exactly the same person. So yeah. she doesn't have, there's no conflict in the way that she conducts herself, her behaviours, her actions yeah. and so on. And so yeah. that makes her totally authentic. Yeah. Try this for a thought. I have the feeling with Ash that her dominant being is Ash Barty, I used the phrase before, girl next door, touchable, tangible, connectable. If she wins 
Yes, she wins, and in the moment she's going to bring her competitive, skillful best. But if she loses, I'm not 100% sure it matters because she's still got who she is. Does that resonate with you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's the same thing. I mean, the humble girl next door, everybody likes me or likes her and the way she carries herself, throw her onto the court then sometimes you see a different person, mm. you know, throwing rackets, yeah. um, swearing at uh, linesmen and ball I've never boys. never seen her throw a racket. Have you no, seen her throw a racket? That's right. No, right, right, yeah. No, that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, I got you. That's what I'm saying. I, I think what you see off the court is what you see on yeah, the court and vice versa. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, there is no conflict. Compl- that, yeah, yeah, there is no almost yeah. two personalities, whereas yeah, I do sure. think. You know, you do see that in, in other other celebrities and that's why I think she's so loved and so believable. Yes, 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 yes. I'm going to mention another name. I'm not quite sure this name is quite as well known to all of our listeners. Chris Fagan. Sorry, Chris. Aged coach. <laughs> not as aged as some. <laughs> of the Brisbane Lions Football Club. I marvel at his remarkable connection with a group of players that are so much younger than him. What's his secret? Yeah, well, I think that's an interesting one because um, that's often said these days that we've got these young people growing up, they're a new generation, whatever. I don't know what the uh, the letter is that they use for generations these days. It could be X, Y, Z, I don't know. But the essence of coaching is just about relationships, you know, just like parenting. And so I think what he does is he spends a lot of time getting to know his players, his staff, yeah. you know, and so it doesn't matter how old, how young they are. Yeah. He knows how they operate, yeah. how they kick, and yeah. so therefore he can relate to them. Yeah, and don't they love him? Well, they seems just like seem to, yeah, as if they yeah, truly yeah, relate yeah, to them. Yeah. And, of course, uh, perhaps a man of the moment, and I'm going to say right up front, I think Justin Langer has actually come out of this sacking of the or resignation of the Australian cricket coaching job. I think he's come out of it with brighter lights than even when he entered into it. But your opinion, please, what makes Justin Langer such an effective person? Yes, well, again, hopefully many of your listeners have followed cricket a bit and follow yeah. what's been happening in sport. But obviously I, I met Justin in 98 when I was coaching Middlesex. So he was that was his first year as a, a professional and it was my first uh, stint at county cricket, first and last stint at county cricket. And he came over with a young family, two young girls at that stage and his wife and um, didn't really know him. But to give you an insight into Justin, there was a training, one of our first training sessions that I was going down as coach and he was going down as pro. And we got to the training ground and it was freezing cold, absolutely freezing cold. And all the Middlesex boys were huddled in the dressing room. You know, you had your beanies on, you had three or four layers on, had mitts on and so on. And so I said, right, let's get out and go training. And I went out and two other people went out. One was Justin and one was Gus Fraser, Angus Fraser, long-time professional player in English, in English cricket. And then it started snowing when we were out there and the wickets weren't great, but mm. Gus bowled, Justin batted. Mm. And 
the others, and we could we looked over the dressing room, and here's the others sort of huddled looking out of a, out a window, but they weren't coming out. It was conditions weren't right. Mm. Mm. But that was just certainly was Angus too. But but Justin was all about professionalism. What does professionalism mean? Professionalism means getting myself ready to play, getting myself an understanding of maybe what the conditions were like, getting myself into this new surrounds, new team, setting an example. Yeah. He's passionate about excellence, demands excellence mm. of himself and therefore everybody around him. Mm. So with that, he has a real, as I said, passion, but that and I heard it described as an intensity, which it is, you know, if there's no corner. You can't cut corners. If you want excellence, there's no corners to be cut and Justin won't cut corners and he will, as I said, he will demand that of himself. You know, when he was a player on tour, if he hadn't had a, a session that he believed was good enough, mm. right, it was grab the coach and let's either start throwing stuff to me or let's go into the nets and get on the bowling machine for a while till I can work through this and talk through it and get it right before I'm happy. And so that's what I'm sure he imposed and I used the word imposed initially because the culture of that team was in disarray. So he was given the task of doing that and he did that yeah. successfully and in doing so he's offsided a number of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing staff, support staff, etc. Yeah, I suspect, I suspect that if he was here now and we asked him, do you think you're intense? I just think he lives with it. He's become it. I don't think he would see any intensity. <laughs> it's the way he sees life. It's the way he is in life. And I'm saying this because I think there's a lot of people out there who love taking on life, who love searching for excellence, and people say, oh, you're too intense. No, it's all relative to where they are at in their life. Justin Langer's not too intense. Justin Langer is, is, is sort of like climbed the ladders of his life and that's where he exists. It happens to be intense to other people given where they're at. Yeah, well, I mean... Again, from a sporting context, you don't get to play as many games as he did in international sport, 105, I think it was, test matches. If you don't seek to be as good as you can be every time you go out to to compete. Um, and so, as I said, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of coaching environment that he brought that didn't suit some people. And um, unfortunately, those some people, it would seem, have certainly got the ear of media. COVID then sits on top of that, kind of exacerbates the issue. That finds its way into Create Australia hallways. Yeah, and yeah, suddenly yeah, it's time yeah, for a change. Yeah, yeah. But normally towards the end of a, a Journey with Bernie episode, I might have some... Um, phrases or some sentences and just ask you for a one-sentence response. I've only got one last question, but it's a doozy. I want you to take your time and then have a crack at nailing it, right? Out of your whole journey across many different sporting communities, but I don't believe for one moment that you are defined as a cricket coach or as a sports coach, human movement graduate, uh, all of this relationship that you seem to have with sporting performance does not 
only define John Buchanan. I can't imagine the number of people that you have coached in their lives. You're now 68 years of age. Surely you're starting to come to some view. Maybe it's only partly coloured around meaning of life. What brings meaning to your life that you think others might consider could perhaps bring some meaning to their own? Do you have a few principles, a few activities, a few actions, something that other people can latch on to and so bring meaning to their life? Yes, well... I was lucky that that job, Queensland job, came along. Not everybody gets a watershed moment in their lives and if you don't, that's one of the principles I think you need to do. You've got to create it some in some way, shape or form. But I had it created for me or at least because I decided to apply for the job, it created it for me because it just made me stop and look at my life, what I was doing, and because I was going for a coaching role, then who am I? How do I? Why do I do what I do? How do I do it? And so on. So in in that time, as I said, I used to go on my runs into my quiet place. I then explored John Buchanan and who he is and how he does what he does. So you know that just took me back to my backyard, putting the baggy green on, or wanting to put yeah. the baggy green on. Teachers, coaches, you know, obviously my parents. Then coming to university and meeting people like Bernie Kelly and and their influences on my life and all those guys that were that were associated with university studies. Uh, you know, there are so many good and not so good impacts on your life, but they all go into the mix about who John Buchanan was. So that made me just stop and work that out. It was my philosophy, my value sets, and so on. And I just think that's. That is so important for everybody to, if you haven't had that watershed moment, you know, I'm just reading an interesting little book at the moment from a near neighbour who I don't know but had a severe bicycle accident and it's called Fractionally Stronger and it's, again, doing that thing. He was, yeah, broke vertebrae and you know, basically laid out now I'm only halfway through the book, but he does talk about gradually regaining his mobility, you know. But in that, that's what he was doing. He was redefining who he was, looking at who he was, and then then maybe what the future is. So for me, with that kind of framework, and it is a framework, philosophy framework, I just believe, for me, I believe in the power of quality coaching and what that can do for the people whom you get to talk with or the groups or the teams you get to do with. So that's my real purpose in life. That's what I enjoy doing. That's what is most satisfying for me. But that has really, as I said, stemmed from the fact that I was fortunate enough to have that watershed moment where I could sit down and put together that framework. If I repeated back to you and I said in dot points... (laughs) Know who you are. T 
take time to ask the question, who am I? I'm assuming that would lead to identification of what you really value. Do not compromise your values. Take time to see the dream. Know that the dream can be an evolving, shifting picture. But without it, there's no pathway. Honour the dream. Have the courage to step forward, just as you did when you call it a watershed moment with a batting average of 12. (laughs) You step forward to a Queensland coaching role when everything in the past said such qualification doesn't get you the job. But that didn't matter to you. You had the dream and you stepped forward, presented your case and they gave you that watershed moment. I would like to suggest you asked for it, you presented it and you got it and you opened up Pandora's box of opportunities that followed, allowing you to be at this podcast (laughs) with a journey with Bernie. John Buchanan, can I thank you personally for the model that you've been in my life? And you wouldn't recognise that, although we had many good times together back in those university days, but back then I needed influences like you in my life And I've always looked up to you. That's always been easy because you're about a foot higher. But I've always looked up to you in the stature of the person that you are and the character that you are. I thank you, John Buchanan. Thank you for being part of this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Cheers, Buck. Thanks, Bernie. Very good of you to say all those things. (laughs) I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. I loved it. Of course... The contact and connection details of our special guest and any references to resource material, books or educational sources can be found in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Our guests would so welcome hearing from you. Now, for those of you who have previously rung me about joining our forthcoming adventures to Nepal and those glorious Himalayan trekking trails, it's truly great to have you on board. For those of you that are still interested, may I suggest you visit the website of Global Immersion Travel? That's www.gitravel.com.au. Then ring my equally enthusiastic associate, Taylor Pierce, on 0419-195-953. That's 0419-195-953. Embrace the journey, dear people. Just embrace the journey and enjoy every minute of it. And just remember...